0: Well, my guest today is Susan Nash. I'm delighted to have her with us. And we're going to discuss strategies in skip tracing and locating hidden assets. So do you have a debt owed to you or do you believe the person is hot? maybe hiding assets. Has the person disappeared? Um, According to LexisNexis, which is a place you can go to find many things, as many as 35 percent of delinquent debtors move each year and 50 percent of all accounts received for collections require some form of skip tracing. So what is skip tracing? It's a term that is used to describe the process of locating somebody From the expression, to skip town. So where do you start? Have you ever considered hiring a professional, a professional skip tracer, to collect money owed to you? Well, Susan, Susan Nash is the president and founder of SearchNet Management Corporation. Her company provides litigation support, judgment debtor tracing, and asset research. She's a forensic accountant and an investigative consultant. She has a degree in accounting from Queens College. She's the president and founder of New York Judgment Recovery Specialists a member of a number of trade trade associations, including the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and the New York State Society of Certified Public Accountants. The best part, she's the author of two books. She authored Budgeting Basics and Beyond, a complete step-by-step guide for non-financial managers. Something you might want to look into if you're not a financial manager, and Skip Tracing Basics and Beyond, a complete step-by-step guide for locating hidden assets, which is why she's here today. So Susan's book is endorsed by the National Association of Retail Collection Attorneys, the Debt Buyers Association, and PI Magazine, of course. As you know, PI Magazine is one of the sponsors of the show. So Susan, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Francie. It's a pleasure and an honor to be here with you. Well, I'm very happy
0: to have you. And so I'm just wondering, is it is it unusual for somebody that has a degree in accounting as a CPA to get into c- collections and debt practices?
2: I kind of think that it is uh, relatively common from the sense that when you go to school to learn the discipline of accounting, you kind of have to put your blinders on and just learn the accounting aspect of it. But then when you get into the real world, you have to take the blinders off and look at it from different perspectives because how do all of those disciplines apply to real-life situations? Sure. And how do we apply them not only to real life situations, but to our lives and the world as a whole of For how sure. we look at things. So sure. I think it's very important.
0: So, how, but you took it really one step further. You have a company that actually um, does this as a practice.
2: Yes, we do, because being from the accounting school of thought, as opposed to the investigative school of thought, we are trained in financial investigations, and we're not trained in other areas. And that's why I said that when you go to school to learn the discipline of accounting, you have to put your blinders on and basically limit yourself to a financial investigation. So if you have a case and you have nothing to go on on the case, but you know that the person has a bank account and that's the only thing that you're going to be able to subpoena, then you're going to have to open your mind to look at things outside of the financial investigation.
0: Okay. So, and, and so was there something that made you start your business to do this kind of work or, or was this just a, a natural progression?
2: Well, you know, I've always had a financial background ever since my very first job working for a factor in New York City, and that is where accounts receivables are financed by small lenders, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's always followed me because I've always worked in financial areas, even with my ex-husband's company. I was the treasurer, so I managed all the finances there also, so I do feel that the, my finance is my forte, and specifically, financial statement analysis is my favorite part of it all because that's where you have to really take the blinders off and look at what's going on in each specific area in order to understand how it will affect the bigger picture, and most importantly, what happens all the time, which is the Unintended consequences
0: okay, okay, so um, so I'm thinking that your background had to do more with uh, fraud, perhaps than just collecting somebody who skipped on a debt.
2: Well, you know as as I started out working for a factor in the business of financing accounts receivables what happens is that corporations aren't able to get paid fast enough in order to meet their weekly needs like payroll expense or flour let's say for baking or whatever they need mm-hmm. for their product so you always see the need for a financial tool and my my personal point of view has always been that thou shalt not steal, and to me, taking money from someone and not paying it back is, in a sense, stealing from them. That's why Mm -hmm. if you give somebody a small loan, they become a debtor, and sometimes you'll lose the friendship, but if you give somebody a really large loan, then basically they become your partner because they're indebted to you for life or until they can pay you back, so... It's all in the perspective and I feel that understanding finance, I understand the consequences of and the ramifications and unintended consequences, as I said, that affect all of us individually and a perfect example is what's happening in the city of Detroit is a phenomena that's really happening all over the world and that is. is that the pensions are underfunded and they don't have enough money to pay what they need. So they have to pay $100, but they're really spending 125 so they're constantly financing the 25 until eventually they can't do that anymore, and it bankrupts the city or the individual or the country, and then eventually even sure. the world, I would say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, wow.
2: And that, and international- that really brings... It's an international phenomena because if you think about all of the countries that have defaulted and are having problems, the, another perfect example is Greece and Turkey, and even how did the whole thing start in Egypt was because the pensions were underfunded and they didn't have enough money so to meet the pension needs. So what I've seen all over the world is in many cases these countries have to go bankrupt because they don't have a choice. And the people that were getting, let's say, $100 a week and having a comfortable lifestyle, by no means a great lifestyle, but they were able to pay their rent and buy their food, from that $100 now they're only going to get $10 a month. And their medical needs are, you know, are only going to get, let's say, $25 a month. Mm -hmm. So that's what ended up happening internationally so you know, we have to make sure that we don't go down that same path and that we can budget our finances in the yeah. right way.
0: <laughs> the classic domino effect, huh?
2: Exactly. The trickle down yeah. theory, as I like to call it.
0: Yeah. So, so let's talk about skip tracing. So, um, for, off the top, how old should a, something be before it's placed for collection?
2: Well, generally speaking, sometimes right after 60 days, it could be as much as 120 days, but your contract will basically stipulate it. So whatever it is that is being collected, whether it's a telephone debt or a car loan or a credit card loan or a mortgage, it'll say your payment is due on the first of the month And if we don't receive it by the 15th of the month, then you'll get a late fee charge of $35 or whatever they decide to charge. Mm -hmm. And if if they don't receive the payment in 45 days after that, then automatically it's charged off to a collection agency because a lot of companies don't want to spend the money manning an in-house collection department so it's easier for them to outsource it to the collection agency. This way they don't have any expenses.
0: So do you have a feel, Susan, of how many uh, people actually skip out on their debts and you have to track them down?
2: You know, I'm not really sure that I have a feel for it, but I would agree 100% with LexisNexis, who's the leader in the field, in these st- statistical information, which is that at least 50 percent of all of the accounts will require some kind of skip tracing because they skip out. In many cases, some you know, as you know, there's different kinds of skips. There's the hardcore skip and the fraudulent skip and the convenient skip. So some of these, in difficult times, people turn to use fraudulent means in order to commit financial crimes. And then eventually it's just reduced to a collection and a judgment. So it doesn't mean very much. But some of these are premeditated crimes. And I have seen in my practice people's lives being ruined by these scammers where they fronted them $15,000 to renovate the house and they trashed the house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So some of them are pretty scary. Let's,
0: let's go back to those categories. What's a hardcore skip?
2: Well, the hardcore skip is a person who's generally, um, he meditated, what he, he premeditated what he was going to do. So in some cases, he set it up. In other words, he knew he was going to file for bankruptcy, so he charged up all his credit cards because okay. they'll never be able to catch him.
0: Okay. And then just leaves town without a trace. Exactly. Okay. And then what was the next category? And then
2: there's the convenience skip which is the skip that doesn't know that he's missing or he moved and he didn't put in a change of address and and he didn't know. He doesn't realize that he he didn't that they're looking for him for whatever reason.
0: Mhm. And not, the other in,
2: skip? Yeah, not intentional. It just was moving
0: anyway and Yes. Okay. And then the next one was?
2: The um hardcore intentional skip, which are usually scammers.
0: Okay. Let's let's take a quick break because I want to hear more about that, Susan. We'll return shortly with Susan Nash.
2: Great.
1: NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Susan Nash is an expert on debt collection and skip tracing. We were just talking about what she's calling a hardcore intentional skip. So tell us more about that.
2: Well, you know, there's different kinds of skip. There's the unintentional skip. There's the convenient skip. And then there's the intentional skip. And the intentional skip is broken down further into the soft core intentional skip the Hardcore Intentional Skip and the Intentional Skip Fraudsters. So the Hardcore Intentional Skip is usually a person who's experienced and he's learned from his mistakes. So he's already gotten caught, and he's usually under camouflage. And in general, he knows how to cover his tracks because he knows that you're looking for him. So... He has to keep in camouflage constantly, but eventually they do make a mistake and they do get caught, and this is probably an intermediate or it could be an expert skip, as opposed to a soft core intentional skip, which is someone who is usually much younger, and he's usually not that well informed because he doesn't have the experience in mm-hmm. hiding out. Mm-hmm. So, A simple name search on Google, you may find him in another state or in another country even. Um, So this would be either a beginner or a novice skip. But then the intentional skip fraudsters are the ones who have a strong motivation to hide. And usually these are criminals and scammers, and they have Several social security numbers and social security and and different names and different addresses and these are the most difficult to locate.
0: Right. So, so makes me wonder uh, where do you? I know you don't want to give away your trade secrets, Susan. But some of them, where do you start? What, when you get a when you get a case? What do you do first?
2: Well, the very best thing to do is. I actually, believe it or not, do like LexisNexis. It's my favorite database. I do belong to all of them and subscribe to all of them, and I love them all dearly, but some I, th- I hold closer to my heart than others. So the mm-hmm. first place to start would be a subscription database. And then once you have uh, a better idea of, the type of person you're dealing with. Are you dealing with a type A personality or a type B personality? Are you dealing with a spender or a saver? Once you have little things about the person, the age, the neighborhood, the kind of education, the background, and you have a better picture of them, then you can go online and search through search engines and search through Social media sites like Facebook and LinkedIn and all of the other great ones where we show our cyber footprint and who we are on the internet to the world.
0: Yeah, Which and when you say subscription database, these are proprietary databases like, for instance, our IRB Search, one of our sponsors for this show, yes, or exactly. or uh, TLO, exactly. uh, another, my favorite. another data provider.
2: Some of my absolute favorites. With the highest quality information, as well as tracers info, and we also have our right. own proprietary brand, also for a twenty-five cent search. So, just so everybody knows,
0: for uh, you mean for CPAs or for?
2: Actually, it's for private investigators and for okay. collection agencies and okay. collectors.
0: Right. Okay. And these are these are not open to the public. These, these are proprietary. Are
2: these are subscription yeah. databases where you have to be screened that you're a valid business and you have a site inspection and the information that you're allowed is uh, limited, of course, unfortunately, due to things like the um, CFPB, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Board, which is stepping in with the FTC to allow us what will and won't be available as far as financial information goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that will affect us all more down the road as they um, advertise, I would say, their policies or let us know what they're looking for, because I think it's not 100% defined yet in anybody's mind. You mean the uh, what the collection practices should be? Right, what the policy, in other words, I don't think they've given a final um, white paper or a mission statement or Rules or regulations yet. I think it's all very broad for now. Yeah. Okay. In order to protect the consumers.
0: Okay, and then you said you you gather all this background information about the person, and then that's coming from your client, evidently. Yes. Okay. So, um, so then, what do you do? You have an idea of the kind of person you're looking for. Then what?
2: Well, once you have an idea of the kind of person that you're looking for. Uh, like I said, are they a spender or a saver? If they're a spender and they like to go gambling every weekend, then I don't expect to find very huge savings accounts and investments accounts. But if the person is a saver and that type of a personality, then by sure you may find a uh, hundred different kinds of them. So it will depend on the personality type. And once you determine the kind of person they are, Then you go after those types of assets. For example, someone who is a gambler may like a lot of very exotic and expensive vehicles, Lamborghinis, uh, Maseratis, all the most expensive cars, while somebody that's a saver just has a very small, modest house and an old car. So Mm -hmm. once you determine the personality type, you can determine the types of assets that you're interested in going after first.
0: And you're able to find um, securities and bank accounts and things like that?
2: Well, we're able to find everything because eventually everything does leave a footprint and everything is, believe it or not, public, even though your personal financial information is not public. If you think about certain things, it generally speaking is public because if you file for bankruptcy, let's say, in most states in America, because federal bankruptcy is a federal proceeding, then all of your personal information is on file. You have to disclose your tax ID number. You have to disclose your banking information. You have to disclose your plan for coming out of bankruptcy. You have to open up a trustee account in order to pay the taxes. So. It's it's all public information if you really think about it in those well, particular cases.
0: Yeah, in a case of a bankruptcy. But what if it hasn't gone that far? Isn't in it's all this
2: public imp- information if you just think about the royal baby, uh, George, that was just born from the, from the Princess Kate. Um, that's a public record. He was born. He weighed a certain amount on a certain day, and his parents are so-and-so, and he'll be the third in line to the... Th- and that's a public record.
0: Well, that's public. Surely, birth and death and marriage records are public record, but bank accounts are not public record.
2: Well, again, as I said, if you look at the bankruptcy proceedings, you will see that A lot of times it is, and there are other instances where it's not public, but it can be subpoenaed. Again, a a bankruptcy may be online, but other other financial instruments are not online, like UCC filings and a lot of other ones. Mm -hmm. Those are not, but they can all be subpoenaed.
0: Right. And so, so Susan, what would you say is the biggest challenge in trying to... um, locate somebody and collecting a debt?
2: I think that the biggest challenge is that a lot of these debtors are intentionally hiding out and don't want to be a part of the system, and they are getting away with it, and they can, and they just continue to get away with it, and they wake up the next day, and they go, and they devise a new plan of how they're going to scam the system. And unfortunately, it all ends up falling on our shoulders because of the trickle-down effect. If somebody doesn't pay their bill, then we all have to make up for their deficit and pay a little bit more. So that's what basically happens is that they, they are cheating the system and they keep cheating it. They say, no, it's not me, and, and you know it's them. They just change their name to with a double M, you know? Yeah, and right.
0: It, yeah.
2: So, Ed, have you
0: had a, a really interesting situation that you can talk about?
2: Well, you know, we've had so many situations over the year, Francie. You know, we had one case, which um, I worked on, I would say, we're all been in business almost 20 years, and one of the cases was a delinquent child support matter where the husband abandoned the wife and the two children and moved out to the west coast and didn't pay child support and worked off the books and showed less income and all kinds of funky stuff and eventually they got the guy and they didn't get paid but the guy went to jail and he's still sitting in jail as we speak he was picked up by the federal marshal so that was one case where skip tracing was very important. And I not only have worked for the husbands, I've also, for the wives, but I've also worked for the husbands where by now the children are all grown up and gone to college, but at one point they were victims of bad parenting on one side or another.
0: Hmm. And then what do you do with that?
2: Well, I personally, myself, don't do anything. I work for the attorney of record, which they're the ones that would sue it or do whatever they're going to do with it.
0: Okay, I'm a little confused. uh, So so the husband thinks the mother didn't raise them properly and didn't um, parent the children properly and now the children are adults. What would be the process?
2: Well, now that, I'm just saying now that the children are all adults, the children will decide for themselves. In other words, when they were children 20 years ago and they were two years old, they couldn't really decide, but now they're 21 and 24, so they're old enough to decide for themselves. Gee, did my dad, you know, really do bad by abandoning us and not paying child support and scamming us? whatever or
0: okay so bad. so so for the woman you're going back or the or the well,
2: or actually, the father that, going that back was to collect child the man the man that's sitting in jail that was picked up by the federal marshals but i had another one that was out of florida where the case was against the mother because the father was out of state and paying a huge amount of child support and the money wasn't going to the child the child was living in a trailer that looked like it was upside down and he was living in the poverty and the father was paying like let's say a hundred thousand dollars a year in child support and the mother was actually putting it up her nose in drugs so that was you know, one of the cases where the child is now probably around 20 or 21. And I'm going to say that now he will be able to judge for himself. Did the mother do right by putting the drugs up her nose or, you know, was the father (laughs) a good father for providing for him all his life?
0: Yeah. Okay. We need to take another break, Susan. Okay. Susan, I'll be right back.
1: the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or Cali. Cali. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. IRB Search is where quality matters. IRB provides access to the best online data for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB data gives you strength in numbers, allowing you to access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified, and you'll receive a two-week free trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler.
0: We're back with Susan Nash, author of Skip Tracing Basics and Beyond. Um, many of Susan's um uh, ideas and very creative ideas, I have to say, uh, in reading through her book about skip tracing and collections and locating hidden assets. So I'm I'm just really curious if you can tell us um, how you would go about locating hidden assets. If they're hidden, how can you find them?
2: Well, that's a great question, you know, and that would, that would actually take, you know, several years to explain because <laughs> believe it or not, a lot of it is really relatively simple because, again, once you understand the personality type that you're dealing with, then it's all about relationships and it's all about emotions and it's all about how the emotions make you feel. Sometimes your emotions can make you feel like you're having an anxiety attack and you can't breathe or that you're so nervous that you can't sleep. So if you know that a person is a saver and they are the type of person that would invest in investment accounts and they know that you're looking for them. I actually had a a client, an attorney client of mine who, uh, due to no fault of her own in representing a client, was awarded... Uh, a judgment against her. So I said to her, you know, if if you really think that they're going to make your life impossible, then you're going to have to hide your assets and protect your assets. So it's all about that. It's all about knowing that she's going to need to protect her assets. So if she has to protect her assets, what instruments are available to her? What tools are available to her? And once you know that, then you know where to research, Mm -hmm. because I feel that what happens to all of us is that we don't really use the tools that we have to the maximum benefit. In other words, I know that I always find myself saying, oh, you know, I have this, but I wish I had this, and I feel like, gee, you know, I didn't really learn how to use this, and I'm not using this to full capacity, yet I'm looking outside, and I want something else. So why can't I learn to use this? Because this probably has everything that I need in it. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's what happens is that once you know what your tools are, then you have to learn how to use the tool. And once you learn how to use the tool, then you know how to apply the tool to yourself. In other words, if you have a hammer and a nail, there's a lot more uses for a hammer than just the nail. Yeah. So you have to understand the other uses so that you could apply it to, let's say, the financial situation of what's the motivation for hiding the assets.
0: Well, and and one of the things that, that really stood out for me, Susan, in your book was um, you're talking about uh, an order for examination or a debtor examination and asking the person, the debtor, uh, who's there uh, under subpoena, um or other court process, um, to see their car keys. Yes. You want to talk about
2: that? Well, I think that that's one great source of knowing what kind of, um, what your keys say a lot about yourself. If you have a key to a Mercedes-Benz, then do you own it or do you lease it if you own it? is there any equity in the car? Because if there is equity in the car, then for only $500, you could repossess the vehicle, sell it off at auction, and maybe get $30,000, and that might be a way to get some money to satisfy your judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, or yeah. the keys to where they live. Sometimes yeah. it's the garage key, the electronic garage or... Sometimes you'll see you know Atlantic Beach Club, you know, and that's their beach club cabana, and that's an asset because those things are leanable, so just by looking at the keys you get some great ideas of the assets that uh, yeah. they have
0: I thought that was I thought that was a very good idea and going through the keys one by one and having them uh, tell you what the key was for and describe uh whatever it was. Exactly. I just Thank thought was you. fascinating. Yeah, it was good. So I, I highly recommend um, for those of you who are listening are interested in either um, pursuing the investigation of collecting debts or placing something for collection. Read this book because it really is fascinating. Susan's got many, many, many great uh, thoughts and ideas about how to locate uh, people uh, who have skipped out or locating assets that uh, they're trying to hide, obviously or not if you're finding them. so uh, how do you choose Susan, how do you choose a collection agency? because there there must well, be some out there that are are not legitimate either of,
2: well, of course there are, and you should um, use a licensed collection agency, of course, because of the FCRA, which is the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and the Fair Credit Reporting Act, and the Fair Debt Collections Practices Act. So Uh a great place to start would be a place like the ACAinternational.org, and that's a website. It's the American Collectors Association, and it's a worldwide association. And then once you go there, then you will limit the search to your zip code, because Collection agencies are regulated at the state level, so different states will require different licensing and bonds and other insurance and other features. So Mm -hmm. you will have to find somebody within your area. And then, depending on the type of debt and the size of the debt, you will need to decide if you want to get an attorney that will work or a collection agency that will work on contingency Or that will just work on a price of, let's say, a flat fee. They'll collect it for you for whatever. In many cases, like child support collections and that stuff, they don't have that on a flat fee. You have to either pay, let's say, $125 an hour or 30% of the collection or whatever they desire.
0: That's on child support.
2: Or whatever. You know, like I said, each state is different. What so should somebody
0: expect? I'm sorry. What should somebody expect to to pay? What would be a, a logical amount to look at?
2: I am going to say that I don't really know, to be perfectly honest with you, because again, it would vary by state to state. I'm going to say that some attorneys will charge $125 an hour, and some attorneys will charge $250 an hour, and some attorneys will. Take it on contingency they'll say we won't charge you anything, but if we can collect the debt then we'll take thirty percent of whatever we collect
0: and, so, and what about the collection agency what kind of uh, what kind of fee that should somebody expect from a collection agency
2: and again it'll range anywhere from a contingency fee where they'll take it on contingency and col- and only get paid based on performance if they can collect it or some of them will take it for, uh, let's say, $125 an hour. So mm-hmm. there are different ways to go, and that's why I recommend the American Collectors Association because each state will be different. So in California, will be very different than in New York. In New York, we don't tax collections; Texas does. So every state is different.
0: Okay. And is there a statutory limitation, or is there, or does that depend on the state as well?
2: That also. De- depends i believe on the state but in new york judgments are good for 10 for 20 years and they're renewable every 10 years so
0: okay so you have to have a judgment
2: first well that's one type of collection but there's just other collections as well for example if you own an investigative agency and you have a client and the client doesn't pay you then you may want to take him to a collection agency or you may want to take him to a collection attorney. That depends on the size of the debt and who the client is. Okay. If it's only a $500 debt, let's say, then you may be better off going to a collection agency that will take it on contingency instead of spending $250 to buy an index number and for a lawyer to file the papers.
0: Right. Right. Yeah
2: so it'll depend on the state and a case by case basis.
0: And if these the fees that are paid for either for an attorney or for a collection agency is that are those fees recoverable from the debtor?
2: No, they are not. In some cases where you're suing for um an hourly rate like let's say They'll take it for $125 an hour, and it's going to take them two hours, so that's going to cost $250. That is not, they can, you cannot add that on to the cost of what you're suing for, Mm -hmm. but you can ask in advance for other premeditated things that you may be able to add on. And again, that will depend on a state-by-state basis and even county-by-county. Okay. Of what you're allowed to add on and what you can't add on.
0: Okay. Sounds complicated. <laughs> it is.
2: And and depending on the state and the county, it gets even more complicated. That's yeah. why it's always good to know the local research because they know the local customs, and that's a real advantage in any case. Well, let's look at the
0: other side of it. What about... Um... a a collection agency that's trying to contact you about a debt um, and maybe you feel like you're being harassed?
2: Well, then you can always reply to them. The best way is in writing, please do not contact me, contact my attorney. Mm -hmm. And then you'll contact their attorney. But you are allowed to contact them to let them know that who you are. Hi, I'm Joe Schmo from the collection agency and I'm calling to let you know that you owe the debt and that if we don't get the check in 60 days then this will be turned over to our legal department for a judgment. So you are allowed to leave the truth or you are allowed to notify them via mail or if the only method that they have is either by cell phone or text phone, you can also call them and on their cell phone or text Phone if they've opted in, meaning when they took out the loan, then they gave you their cell phone number and they allowed you to text them. In, in other words, they opted in for online um, invoicing, for online okay. messages.
0: Okay. All right. We, we need to take another break, Susan. We'll be right back after this okay. sh- very short break.
1: News.
0: back um since we just had a commercial break let me just mention that if you are interested in advertising your business or your product on this show please contact my wonderful producer sondra rogers at sondra s-a-n-d-r-a dot rogers r-o-g-e-r-s at com or call 480-553-5756 553 Five seven five six. We're back with Susan. So um, it's my understanding, Susan, that a debt collector uh, is not supposed to lie to you. Yes, when that's they're collect, exactly trying to collect correct. a debt,
2: they that's can't exactly threaten you. Correct in any communication that you have with a debtor, whether it's on a telephone or via mail. They always have to disclose the fact that it's their intention to collect a debt, and any, any any information can be used in order to collect that debt. And it's kind of like a mini Miranda, as it's called.
0: Mini Miranda? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Um, they can't claim they're from the government or they're an attorney or
2: exactly. that they you've committed a crime. They have identify themselves as who they are. Yeah.
0: And they can't uh, threaten you with arrest? They cannot. Yeah, any of those things. But they can
2: tell you the truth, which is that if in 30 days they don't receive the payment, then they're going to reduce it to a judgment. And I guess some people just take that fact, which is a reality, and I guess some of them will call and file a complaint, and just because a complaint is filed doesn't really mean it's a valid complaint because just because you called the 1-800 number, it got logged as a complaint. It doesn't mean it's a real complaint. You could just call, and there it is. That's a statistic.
0: So if you have a problem, if someone has a problem with a collection agency or feeling like they're being threatened harassed or lied to or whatever, what do they do? Who do they report it to?
2: Well, in the past, you were supposed to report it to the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission, and they were the ones that actually um, supervised the collection agencies. But now, the new CFPB, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Board, will oversee the FTC in their arena of collections. So, it's a brand-new agency that was just started up, and we really don't know all of the ramifications yet.
0: And say that, say that name again, Susan. It's the-, the
2: CSPB, which is the Consumer Financial Protection Board, and Elizabeth Warren is the head of it. She is the person in charge of that federal agency, And it's a brand-new agency, so we'll see where it takes us and what information they put out for us.
0: Nothing's happened yet?
2: Everything is happening right now, but I don't think that we know all of the final specifics yet. I think that they're working on them as we speak.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Well, interesting. We'll wait to see how that develops. Um, so you were telling me on, uh, when we were on the break, during the commercial break, that you had a horrible result on a uh, case that you were looking into for collection.
2: Yes, we had a terrible result on a... It was actually a fraudulent collection because it was for a chain of jewelry stores, and what happened was that the bookkeeper, who was also the office manager or the financial manager, um, was embezzling huge sums, and she was a single mother, and they didn't know where the money was going or what it was being spent on. All they knew was that all of these charges were like three times what they used to be, and every month they were more and more, and the perpetrator, who was the girl that was doing the embezzling, was in charge of the bank reconciliation as well as all of the credit card statements, American Express, MasterCard, and Visa. So she was really totally unsupervised. And when the investigation opened, I guess she knew that her bosses were on to her. She committed suicide.
0: Wow.
2: So we were
0: you you brought in to do the... um, Financial analysis of this, like, yeah, of the situation, an audit? Yes, tr-
2: we were brought in because they pretty much knew that it was her by the time that I came in, and they wanted to know, they had the account numbers, so they wanted to know what the balance was on the account. And I guess at that point, you know, she already knew they were on to her. It was nothing that I did, of course. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, you you know, it is really incredible how frequently uh, people are embezzling across the country. Yes. Uh, I I, uh, used to be in another business uh, besides private investigation. I was in the retail management business. Uh And uh, it was um, not unusual, even in a small retail store or a chain of stores, to find uh, some kind of embezzlement in every store. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you when you're just talking about uh, that she was unsupervised and had a lot of authority that that is probably the key because we were always we always learned when I was in retail to manage by walking around and that meant uh, that you just made your presence known uh, because when people are left to their own resources, often and unsupervised, with authority to sign checks or to move money around, that they often take advantage of it. And it's uh, that management by walking around sometimes curtails it.
2: Right. Yeah. That's very (laughs) interesting. Very interesting. I also find that now that the economy is worse, people turn to crime more and that would be every type of crime, whether, like you said, at the retail level, or whether they steal or what from whoever. I I find that in difficult times, it's increased dramatically.
0: mm mm-hmm. Hmm. Hey, you've you've noticed that since the downturn of the um, the whole national infast- uh, economic infrastructure?
2: Yes, I've actually noticed that. And the statistics um, agree with me is that as the more the more difficult times become, the more that people turn to crime, if for no other reason, than let's say they're hungry, so they stole an orange because they were hungry you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the the statistics do show that as well
0: well, and although this show isn't about embezzlement i um i mean it it's my been my experience, and i'm wonder if it's yours, that people don't, when they start embezzling, they don't start out to em, really embezzle the money. They borrow some money that they think they're going to be able to pay back, and then it becomes easier. They don't get caught, and they borrow it again to think they're going to pay it back, and then it gets out. It just gets out of control.
2: Is that in your experience? I think that there's that very definite personality type out there that is like that, and I think that, you know, there's two types of people there's the prey and then there's the prayer and you know you always have the prayer that's preying on the innocent naive victim that has a good you know warm heart that doesn't realize that they're being scammed you know Mm -hmm. and um you know it's a cat and mouse game and fortunately we have private investigators who are the mental giants of the world and Fortunately, they're able to help us through difficult times like these because I think it happens to everybody at every level. So you no work one is ha- exempt anywhere yeah. in the world.
0: <laughs> you work hand in hand with private investigators.
2: Yes, I do. I work for a lot of the private investigators, especially in in the New York area, and I I, I do work you know nationwide. And I realize that they really are. You know, if you think about the way a corporation works, and that's the mind, the hands, and the feet. You have the private investigators that are the mind, and they're the ones that are planning the strategy. And then you have the skip tracers, which are the hands that are doing the work. And then you have everybody else that's doing the walking, like the process servers and people that are doing surveillance stuff like that. So it all works together to put the body together so that we can make it all function for everybody.
0: That's that's a good analogy. I like that. Thank so you. So we are almost at the end of our hour. Okay. Uh, do you have any words of wisdom to leave with our listeners?
2: The only words of wisdom that I really have is to never give up because sometimes when you're drop dead tired and your eyeballs are falling out of your eyes, Do just one more search because that one more search will be an instinctive type of search and it may put you in the right direction. So happy hunting, everybody.
0: (laughs) That's good advice. (laughs) So thank you, Uh, Susan. Thank you so much. And you can get your book on Amazon?
2: Yes, you can get it on Amazon or the PI Store or Barnes & Nobles or Audible.com.
0: Okay, you want to give
2: the title again? It's Skip Tracing Basics and Beyond, a Complete Step-by-Step Guide for Locating Hidden Assets.
0: Okay, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Francie. You're welcome. So again, tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and certainly accounting as investigation. It's PI's Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening.
1: C-A-L-I. Transcribed